Would you open with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3? 1 John is right at the end of your Bible, right before Revelation. We're just going to use that as our text. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. I think everybody's there. Okay. First John chapter 3, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege and honor to preach the gospel. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come, be present with us. And convict us, Lord, of your truth. Reveal your truth to our hearts this morning. And help us to understand that Jesus was manifested to take away our sin. And all the people said, Amen. Jesus Christ was the only person to live his entire life without sin. That's an amazing statement. Jesus Christ was the only person... To live his entire life without sin. Nonetheless, he was arrested, tried, convicted, and condemned to die on a cross. Which was usually a punishment that was reserved for the worst criminals. Remember when he was crucified? He was crucified between two thieves. It was for the worst criminals. Jesus was a perfect man who committed no sin. Our text says, in him was no sin. But don't take my word for it. You be the judge. You be the jury. Today, we are going to put Jesus on trial. And we are going to examine the evidence to determine whether he was innocent or guilty. I am going to be the defense attorney. And I'm going to call up five witnesses. To testify before the jury about the sinless life of Jesus Christ. And you, the jury, the judge, will make the determination at the end of the message. Now, these aren't just going to be any witnesses. These are going to be hostile, unfavorable witnesses. How many of you have ever been in court before? As a juror? Oh, that many. Okay. I was going to ask, does any of the jurors need to be excused? But I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> Nobody likes doing jury duty. Have you ever noticed? Everybody comes up with any, any excuse to get out of jury duty. But we're going to call up five witnesses. And not one of these witnesses is a person that helped Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. As a matter of fact, they hated him. And some of them wanted to kill him. Now, that's known as a hostile witness or an unfavorable witness. Let me read what I found. It says about a hostile witness. A hostile witness is a witness in a trial who testifies for the opposing party or a witness who offers adverse testimony to the calling party during direct examination. That's while they're being um, interrogated through the attorney. 
A witness can be declared hostile by the judge when the witness's testimony is openly antagonistic or clearly prejudiced by the opposing party. That means a hostile witness is the best witness. Do you know why a hostile witness is the best witness? Because when somebody that opposes you and hates you says something good about you, that is convincing. It's not like getting your mother on the, tr- on the court stand and she says, oh, he was a good son, you know. <laughs> no, when somebody hates you and says something good about you, that's convincing. And today we're going to call on five witnesses. The demon, Satan, Judas Iscariot, the scribes and the Pharisees, and Pontius Pilate. So the first witness that I'm going to call to the stand is the demon. I call the demon to the stand. Turn to Mark chapter 1. And you're going to be, turn around a little bit in, Matt, in, the, in the Gospels here. So I hope you, if you didn't bring a Bible, just listen along with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was in their synagogue, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the the region around Galilee. The first witness is a demon. What is a demon? A demon is an unclean spirit. It's a fallen angel who has followed Satan. A demon is a minister of the devil. And the demons hated Jesus. The demons opposed the work of, de- of Jesus. The, a demon could enter the body of a, of a human or an animal and take possession of that body. And cause them physical and mental torment. As a matter of fact, if you look a few chapters later, don't turn to it, but in Mark chapter 5, there's a demonized man. And this man lived in the, in the hills, and he cut himself, the Bible says, in Mark chapter 5. A demon could cause a lot of mental and physical torment. But I want to tell you right now, the Bible says that a true believer cannot be possessed by a demon. And it's okay to say amen during court. It's okay. A believer cannot be de- uh, possess a Christian. I've been in churches that teach, oh, you know, Christians can be, demoni- can be demonized. That is a falsehood. That is not true. A demon is here in this chapter, and he's our first witness. And the demon had a, immediately, he recognized that him and Jesus were in radically two different kingdoms. The demon uses the plural pronoun three times. Notice in verse 24, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come 
to destroy us. Notice that? Three plural pronouns. The man spoke for himself and the demon inside him. Now, what's amazing to me is that the demon knew who Jesus was. Look what he says. He says in verse 25, I no, verse 24. I know who you are. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. This is a powerful statement. The demon recognized who Jesus was. And this is the same term that's used in Psalm 1610. For thou will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's a, a, a reference to the messianic resurrection of Christ. It's prophesied. The demon recognized Jesus as the Christ. And he affirmed that he was the Christ, the Holy One, the sinless Savior. The demon affirmed his true identity as holy and sinless, the anointed one of God. That is supernatural knowledge right there. So I submit to you that our first witness who hated Jesus said that he was the holy one of God. So our first witness testifies he was sinless, the holy one of God. You may be seated. Now I call our second witness. And our second witness is the devil, Satan. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And our second witness has many AKAs. Dave, what does AKA mean? Also known as. It's a lot of times criminals have AKAs. Satan's AKA is the devil, Lucifer, um, Prince of Darkness, the Tempter. He had many AKAs. And our second witness is especially hostile witness because he's the absolute enemy of Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry. So here we go. See, Jesus is in the wilderness, fasting and praying, and he's hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus resisted the Satan's first temptation. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus resisted Satan's second temptation. Verse seven, eight. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus resisted Satan's third temptation. Now, what's particular about this is that Jesus was directly tempted by Satan himself. 
And three times he said, no, 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 to Satan's temptations. Satan could not tempt Jesus to sin. Jesus withstood the mighty temptations of Satan. Not by might, not by power, but by the word of God that is available to every Christian. Hebrews 4.15 says, he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So I ask you, jury, did Satan's temptations cause Jesus to sin? No. No. The answer is no. The second witness could not cause Jesus to sin. You may step down. I have no further questions. Now the third witness I call to the stand, Judas. Judas Iscariot. Turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Now, Judas was one of the 12 disciples. And as we learned a couple months ago when we went through Matthew, Judas betrayed Jesus. And what did he betray Jesus with? A kiss. Yes. And the word for that is katafileo. Now, it's not a kiss where the kind you see sometimes see when, you know, just a... It wasn't that little peck. No. The word katafileo means a Big, fervent kiss. When he saw Jesus, he grabbed him and gave him. It was that that kind of kiss. Katafileo. And this stands out as the darkest deed in history. Because Judas committed the most heinous, horrible, despicable deed ever. He betrayed the holy, perfect, sinless Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Judas has spent three glorious, wonderful, supernatural, miracle-packed years with Jesus. Can you imagine seeing Jesus walk on the water? Can you imagine seeing Jesus feed the 5,000? Can you imagine seeing him cleanse the leopard or raise the dead? Can you imagine being there for that? He saw all of those things, but his wicked heart only grew harder and more hateful. And there's a saying that says, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Wow. That's how some people can hear the word and never turn and believe. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. When our our third witness, Judas, look at verse 27. I mean, I'm sorry. Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. When our third witness, Judas Iscariot, now called the betrayer, saw that Jesus had been condemned to judgment. That word condemned is katakrino. It's the same word that's used in John 8, 11 about the adulterous woman. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The same exact word, katakrino. Judas was remorseful. And usually the word for, for, for this is metanoia, meaning a change of mind that results in a change of life. 
But no, this is not the word that's used here. Here it's metameletheus, means remorse without any commitment to God. That's what it says when it says he was remorseful. Judas was conscience stricken. He was regretful and remorseful. And then he makes this statement. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. You know what we call that? A confession. This is a confession. I have sinned. Judas was saying, what I did was evil. And he feels remorse. This is exactly what has to happen today. To believe in Jesus Christ. You have to acknowledge your guilt. You have to acknowledge your sin. Before you come to God, you have to confess, I have sinned. You say, I haven't sinned. <laughs> the Bible says in 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.10, There is no, none righteous, no, not one. We heard that this morning when Jerry read it. No, not one. And Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we say no one's perfect. Because we've all sinned. We have all sinned. But there is one person who is perfect. And his name is Jesus. He is the one person who has not sinned. Getting back to Judas. Judas is filled with guilt. But it isn't godly sorrow. He wishes it hadn't happened. And he feels regret. What a contrast. What a contrast. On one hand, you have this Guilty betrayer standing before you who sold out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And then on this hand, you have the innocent Savior. What a contrast. Judas, the betrayer. Also known as the son of perdition, which means doomed to destruction. Judas, the betrayer, acknowledges he had betrayed an innocent man. The blood money, the 30 pieces of silver that he wanted so badly, now that he got it, did nothing but bring him guilt. Isn't that how sin is? The thing that you want so badly, when you finally get it, brings you nothing but guilt. And he threw it back. He felt guilt. And man, listen to me. That's how sin is. Listen to me. Don't play with sin. Because when you finally get whatever you think you really want that badly, it brings you nothing but pain and guilt. You feel horrible. That's why Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Where are your eyes? Mm. The first witness the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The second witness, Satan, could not tempt Jesus to sin. The third witness, Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Now I call to the stand the fourth witness. And he is, they are the chief priests and the elders. Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 59. Fifty nine and sixty. Now the chief priests, the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. The chief priests and elders were basically the religious leaders of their day. 
They were the Sanhedrin, kind of like what we call the Supreme Court of today. And they were the hostile witness because they hated Jesus the most. They hated Jesus. Jesus was ruining their way of getting money and having power over the people. They hated Jesus and they wanted him dead. Look at Matthew 26, 3 and 4. Just a couple pages over. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not now, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They plotted to take Jesus and kill him. For three years, Jesus challenged them to find fault with him. And in John eight forty six, he says, which of you convicteth me of sin? Which of you? For three years, he challenged those religious leaders to kill. To, and they tried to find fault with him. They watched his every move. They listened to all his words. They were waiting for him to make a mistake. In John 8, that, what we read, there was the woman, the adulterous woman. And if you read it, they said they brought the woman to Jesus and they tried to trap him. They said, this woman was caught in the act. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? They tried to trap him. It was, it was a setup. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. 15. Matthew twenty-two fifteen says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. In other words, catch him. They tried to trap him. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Again, they tried to trap him. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. <laughs> the Herodians tried to entangle him in his words. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then look what happened next. Verse 23. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise their offspring for his brother. Now, therefore, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman also died. Therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, 
They were astonished at his teaching. First the Herodians, then the Sadducees, and then look, look at the next verse, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Ken preached this two weeks ago. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all tested him. And Jesus answered them. He answered them all. And they hated him. Mark 12, 12 says that they hated Jesus because they perceived that he spoke a parable against them. (laughs) They hated him. They were jealous of his knowledge, his power, and his popularity. They hated his message. The Pharisees taught that you have salvation by works. Jesus taught salvation by faith. And listen to what he called them. You... Verse Matthew twenty three twenty three says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Oh, man. He called them whitewashed tombs who appear beautiful on the outside and full of dead men's bone and filthiness on the inside. Oh, my. Man, he was, he was like just on them. He called them dead men's bones, called them whitewashed tombs. He called them blind guides. Ouch. He revealed their hypocrisy. They hated Jesus. That's why they wanted to kill him. One day they went up to him and said, by what authority do you do these things? And he said, I'll ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it from men or was it from God? So they go, hold on, hold on, time out, time out. They go, let's talk, let's talk. If we say it's from God, he's going to say, why didn't you listen then? But if we say it's from men, the people are going to uh, get mad and, and because they looked at him as a prophet. So well, let's go back. Okay, okay. They all go back. We don't know. And then Jesus says, I won't tell you either then. He just hit them right between the eyes. He didn't pull any punches. He revealed their hypocrisy. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, hated Jesus the most. They hated him. And that's because and and because of all that. Now go back to Matthew 26. Now you get a better idea. Now, because of Matthew 26, verse 59 Now the chief priests, elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. They found none. Not one. You see, the religious leaders, they found liars to get up. Basically, they found liars to get up, but they couldn't get two or three of them to corroborate their statements. And Mark 14, 56 says... For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. They couldn't get any, not one. They couldn't find them. 
And the law said you had to have at least two or three witnesses to corroborate the statement. They had to agree, and they didn't. So the fourth witness couldn't find any witnesses. They found none. And now I'm going to call on my final and last witness. And his name is Pontius Pilate. Turn to John 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 18. Verse 38. Now the Jewish rulers, they couldn't put anybody to death because they were under Roman law and Roman authority. Rome reserved the right for execution. So Jesus had to be handed over to the Roman authority to be executed. And I need to give you some background here. Pontius Pilate was in a lot of trouble. He wasn't there because he was a a good governor. He was there because he was in trouble with the Roman Empire. He had made a lot of mistakes. He had taken some of the temple treasury money and used it to build aqueducts. You know, the Romans had great aqueducts. Well, that made the Jewish rulers mad that he took their money. And then Pilate says, okay, whenever we come, I have this flag. I want you guys to bow and worship. Well, you know the Jewish Jews were not going to bow down and worship the Roman Empire, so they revolted. And then the news got back to uh, to the emperor. And the emperor said, Pilate, we don't want any trouble over there. We want peace in our uh, district there. No trouble. I don't want any trouble. You got it? No trouble. Pilate was put on notice. He was on thin ice. And the last thing that he needed was another revolt. So when, and the Jewish looters, leaders, they knew this. So when they brought Jesus, they said, hey, we want him killed. And they knew they were going to pretty much get their way. They wanted Jesus killed. So John chapter 18, verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Stop right there. What is truth? You know what I've realized? A lot of times people don't want to hear truth. We'd rather hear lies. Anything to make us feel good. And that's why sometimes preaching the gospel is very difficult. Because people don't want truth. They don't want to hear truth. That you need to repent. They don't want to hear that you need to turn from your wicked ways. They don't want to do those things. They don't want truth. People want to hear, I can, I can get in heaven on my own. I can make it on my own good works. I'm a good man. They don't want truth. And you know what's sad? Truth was standing right in front of Pilate. He was standing right there. That was truth. Instead of saying, what is truth? Pilate could have asked, Who is truth? And then Jesus would have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he didn't ask that. He said, what is truth? And that's the gospel. A lot of times we don't want truth. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. I want to hear something else. 
Pilate said in verse 38, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. Pilate assessed that Jesus was innocent. But the Jewish leaders insisted that he be crucified. So in order to appease the Jews, Jesus was whipped, scourged, and beaten. I don't know if you've seen that movie, um, what, but The Passion. In there, it shows. It's very historical. They would tie you to a post. And they would tie your hands so you couldn't move. And then they would strip you of your clothes. And then they took a cord with bones and and do it 39 times. And most of the time, it, it was within an inch of your life that you died. Sometimes the victim died. And Pilate did that to Jesus in order to appease the Jews. And then he brought Jesus back to them and showed them, look, here's, here is your king. I'm going to release one of these guys. They wouldn't have it. No, no. They wouldn't have it. So then now in John 19, 4. John 19, verse 4. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Behold the man! And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. No fault. Three times the governor, Pontius Pilate, said, I find no fault in him. John 18, 38. John 19, 4. John 19, 6. Pontius Pilate is the best witness because he said, I can't crucify him. He is a just man. He is innocent. He is righteous. I find no fault in him. Pilate tried to remain neutral. He tried. And turn to Matthew 27, verse 15. Matthew 27, 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release into the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ. And look at verse 18. You might even want to underline that. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. His conscience spoke to him. Pontius Pilate knew. His conscience told him that they were envious, jealous. And not only did his conscience speak to him, but look at this. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said, sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I've just suffered many things today in a dream because of him. His wife spoke to him and called him that just man. You know what? I, beside the obvious, there's also some, we sometimes need to listen to our wives. Can you say amen? You guys didn't say it very enthusiastically. But this woman knew. She sensed. He was a just. And then his conscience spoke to him that, that he is innocent. 
And then Pilate goes all the way down, verse 22. Then Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus? Pilate asks a very personal, a very pertinent, a very pressing question. What shall I do with Jesus? You know, there is no greater question to that. What shall I do with Jesus? In summary, here is the evidence. You heard it. I called on five witnesses to prove that Jesus led a holy life. A holy, sinless life. One, the demon declared it. The Holy One of God. Two, Satan proved it. He could not cause Jesus to sin. Three, the betrayer confessed it. I have betrayed innocent blood. Four, the scribes and the, and the elders showed it. They could find none. And five, the governor proclaimed it. I find no fault in him. I ask you, you're the judge. You're the jury. Do you find any fault with Jesus? And all the people said, based on the evidence that you heard today, on those five witnesses, do you find any fault with Jesus? In ending... Stephen was the first martyr of the church in Acts 6-7. He was preaching, and because of that, he was brought to the court, and the religious authorities were upset with him because he was preaching Christ. And they looked at him and said, we are going to execute you. And they were really mad because Stephen called them stiff-necked sinners. <laughs> yeah, that made them mad. So they took him out to stone him. The Jews stoned, people, stoned him. But before they did... God gave Stephen a gift. He looked up into the heaven as he's getting stoned. And he said, I see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of God. What did Stephen see? And the gift was that he saw his advocate, Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior. And the amazing thing is that on earth, he was being condemned. He was being stoned. He was being called a loser, a traitor, a cult leader, a liar. And how did he respond? He looked up and he saw Jesus. And when the Bible says when he did that, his face shone. It radiated because he saw Jesus, his advocate, and God the Father in heaven. And God loved him commended him and accepted him. He got so excited that he seemed to forget that he was being stoned to death. Will you have Jesus as your advocate? Will you accept him as your Lord? When you have Jesus as your advocate, you are able to take the criticism. You are able to take the rejection, the persecution, and the things that weigh you down. Are you being persecuted at home? Are you being rejected at work? Are you being criticized because of your faith? As long as Jesus is your advocate, you can, ha you can deal with it. Look at Stephen, the first martyr in the church. Jesus is our defense attorney. He is our advocate. And he speaks in our defense because he is the sinless Savior. Some of us have cancer. Some of us 
of heart attacks. Some of us have disease. But all of us have sinned. Isaiah 59 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. I ask you this morning the same question that Pilate asked. What will you do with Jesus? He took your place and he suffered, bled and died on the cross to pay for your sins and the sins of the whole world. Will you admit you have sinned? Will you acknowledge the truth? You cannot remain neutral like Pilate. Do not harden your heart like Judas. What will you do with Jesus? Will you ask him to take your case to be your defense attorney? I want to read a poem that was given to me by Keith. And it's called My Advocate. I sinned. And straightway, post haste, so Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod has sinned. Tis true that he has named thy name, but I demand his death, for thou hast said the soul that sinneth must die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Since now this wretched sinner, send now this wretched sinner to, to his doom. What other thing can righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night, and every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose from God's right hand, behold whose glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled. The guilty sinner dies. But wait, suppose his guilt were all transferred to me, and that I paid his penalty. Behold my hands, my side, my feet, One day I was made sin for him and died, that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan flew away, full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. Let us bow our heads in prayer. The Bible says, For he made him who knew no sin, To be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Lord I thank you that you make us righteous God. That when you look out. On this congregation. It's not us you see. It's your son Jesus Christ. Who took our penalty. I pray God that you would. Use your word. May it find its way into our hearts. Speak to us Lord. And show us how we need to follow you. With all our heart soul mind and strength. Thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for taking something that was marred and making something beautiful.